0: Thank you, you can be seated. It's so good to be back at Bethesda. I don't know if uh, Pastor Des is with us today, but if he is, uh, I can't see with the lights in my eyes. But uh, it's always wonderful to be back here. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me back. I think this is probably the 10th time uh, that I've spoken at Bethesda. That's a lot. And uh, it's such a huge privilege. I'll never get tired of that. Uh, To get to speak here is a tremendous, uh, to me, it's a tremendous luxury i tell you during the worship i when we were singing total praise i think i had an out-of-body experience <laughs> I, I, I for a minute there i really thought i was like leaving my feet it was uh it was wonderful the music in this church is just so uh it's it's the quality's terrific but the anointing on it is what uh just keeps you coming back and keeps me coming back too thank you i'm excited to talk to you this morning uh about the scriptures um i grew up on river towns i was born in demopolis alabama which is where the confluence of the tom Bigby river and the black warrior river is and we have a dam there and uh, my family spent a lot of time walking along the river in demopolis when i was t- 10 years old we moved to florence on the tennessee river and florence is a river town for sure a uh, beautiful place and we we'd spend so many hours down just walking alongside the river uh, having picnics at McFarland Park and just walking down the river looking for arrowheads, and we'd always find them. And uh, something about river walks are just really uh, arch, um, archetypal for human beings. They're just they they speak deeply, rivers deeply to our psyche. Uh, we we've got to have water to live. Human beings can't live in any place that doesn't have water, and uh, we're never so happy as when we're around water. It's often said that a man's happiest day of his life is when he buys his boat. <laughs> and they said the second happiest day of his life is when he sells it. <laughs> um, but people love water. Um, I, I live in the town of Kirkland now, which is a lake town. Kirkland, uh, my, my, the Northwest University oversees Lake Washington from up on the hill, a third of a mile down the hill, you're at the waterside, and I'm a runner. So uh, I like to go running along Lake Washington, and I've got a 20-mile route that I can run along Lake Washington. It's a beautiful running uh, route. I don't run that 20-mile route very often, but I run pieces of it regularly. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And people just congregate around the water, especially during the summer. Now that it's summertime, there's always people playing beach volleyball down on the water in Kirkland. Great big men and beautiful women go down there to just play volleyball and be together and and then the beaches are just full of people uh, sunning or having a picnic or just getting together. You get down to the marina and there's immigrants from everywhere in the world because on holidays or off days, immigrants look for public places where they can see people. Americans look for backyards where they can't see people. But uh, there's just something about the water that draws people. we were thinking this morning about uh, the rock anthem, uh, the day the music died, American Pie. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, and, but the levee was dry. Now, that's apocalyptic when you go to the levee and the levee's dry because you expect to see people down there. Um, people just congregate on rivers and lakes and oceans. Many cities throughout the world have famous river walks, but none of them is more prized than the Paseo del Rio in San Antonio, Texas. I was down there a few years ago and I saw a plaque at a certain place in the river, and it says, Robert H. 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 Hugman, architect, revered for his role in the development of the riverwalk, 1939 through 41 opened his office at river level in this circular space in early 1941 he remarked at the time i opened my office at river level when i did this people said in essence i knew you were a dreamer but now i know you were also a fool you'll be drowned like a rat in your own hole in 1929 this visionary architect presented a master plan to the city of san antonio for the development of the downtown river bend hugman's plan of proposed a balance between commercial and park-like qualities while maintaining the river's natural character and preserving old world architecture. Hugman was convinced that the ideal future, the Paseo del Rio, rested in preserving the historic character peculiarly San Antonio's own. That the flavor of our Spanish, Mexican, and Southwest traditions must be emphasized in all future development. That our little river should be treated as a stage setting on which people are transported to the unusual. That all future architectural growth avoid modern styles. And further, that the river's tempo must be jealously guarded, remaining slow and lazy in complete contrast with the hustle and bustle of street-level modern city life. Robert Hugman's dream was to create a unique atmosphere through landscape and design from which San Antonio could identify with its past. As he once said, Paseo del Rio's success will always lie in the unique aesthetic and romantic appeal experienced by people who visit and wish to share it with others. Robert H. H. Hugman is rightly deemed father of the river walk. Isn't that a beautifully written plaque? But wouldn't it be wonderful to have a plaque like that written about you beautiful beautiful and it just it it appeals to us and if you've ever been to san antonio you know exactly what i'm talking about there's just something about walking along that lazy river with friends with somebody you love maybe somebody you just met Uh, rivers bring people together they create fellowship and they create happiness and that's why god has determined that there will be a river walk in heaven in its depiction of the new Jerusalem the book of Revelation appeals to the archetypal human love of water in declaring that the heavenly city the place of our final blessed estate will have a river walk a road that runs alongside a river listen to the words of Revelation 22 1-5 and I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word Revelation 22 verses 1-5 through 5. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this city, and His servants will follow Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. May God bless the Scriptures to our understanding. May we see things we've never seen before, and may we see our lives completely new in Jesus name amen you may be seated this is an amazing description of the heavenly river first we have this heavenly boulevard it's not just a regular street it's a boulevard because it's paved in gold (laughs) we know that from the previous chapter but it's described as having a river running right down the middle you can imagine a big highway with the median being the river The road runs along both sides of the river, and the river that flows between the roads is as clear as crystal, and it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb, from the throne of the Father and the Son. Notice it does not mention the Holy Spirit, because if it mentioned the Holy Spirit, it would be the Trinity River, which, as we all know, does not flow as clear as crystal. (laughs) (laughs) Muddy. (laughs) I was looking at it yesterday just to remember, and it's a muddy place, and, you know, we've never seen fit to much develop it here in Fort Worth uh, the way they did in San Antonio, but different river. Well, on each side of this river stood the tree of life, it says. And this is a really odd reference. The the phrase is very difficult to translate because of the singular reference to the tree of life. Now, some translations will change the tree to plural, with trees growing along both sides of the river. Uh, And yet some artists have conceived it as a tree growing over the river with roots Going down on each side, a singular tree, because the reference is to a singular tree. I don't know whether there are lots of trees on each side of the river, or whether it's one tree uh, overdoing the river, but in, at any rate, it's it's a figure of speech, so to speak. It's it's. Um, I don't know exactly how literally to take this, but one or the other is true. <laughs> but the singularity of the reference is important. Because it emphasizes the connection of this tree of life in heaven to the tree of life that was in Eden. That's what's going on here. Eden is being restored and amplified in heaven. Paradise is restored to humans. As you know, the tree of life that grew in the Garden of Eden guaranteed eternal life to all who ate from its fruit. Genesis 3.22 says that God drove the man and the woman out of the garden lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. And so there's a ref, this reference is directly to that tree of life that was in the garden and here it is again in the eternal paradise and everyone who eats from that fruit will live forever. Now, this tree of life that is growing along the boulevard is not it's 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 alive and it is green beyond description it is it is the most alive tree you've ever imagined in your life it's not just yielding fruit it's yielding a brand new crop of fruit every month well if you had an orchard like that we we, Washington's an orchard stra- state. We grow uh, uh, apples. We're the apple capital of the world and grow cherries everywhere. And uh, there are orchards everywhere. But can you imagine harvesting your trees every month with a new crop of fruit? That, that's a super tree. I mean, that's, that's a, that tree is alive beyond description. And it goes further than that. That'd be enough in itself to make it a pretty impressive tree. But he goes on to say that the leaves of the tree. Are for the healing of the nations what an amazing description of a live tree and what makes this reference so unusual and so meaningful in a way you've probably never seen is the word that john uses to say tree of life as he's using this phrase, tree of life, the normal word for a green tree, a live tree, is the word dendron. A dendron is a live tree, a green tree. You know it from the word rhododendron, rose tree in Greek. So you would expect him to say, especially of a tree this alive, that not only is it, is it a live tree, but it gives fruit every month and it, 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 its leaves can heal the nations. You would expect him to use the word for green tree, dendron, but he doesn't. He uses the word xulon, which means a dry stick, a beam of lumber. Now, he didn't invent that usage, it's an odd usage, it goes against normal Greek. he didn't invent it as a matter of fact it's the same phrase that's used in the Old Testament translation the the Septuagint the Bible he would have had in front of him of the the Old Testament John knows that xulon is the wrong word for that kind of tree but he uses it anyway he uses it in a way that the translator of Genesis could have never grasped because for John, the true tree of life was a dead stick, it was a piece of lumber, it was two pieces of lumber that crossed in the middle on which the king of glory died. The phrase "soulon" of life takes on a brand new meaning in the cross of Jesus Christ in which a dry stick of lumber becomes the very source of life for all humanity. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross,
1: sing it with me. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain And I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it some.
0: no greater relic through the old centuries of the church than to claim that this piece of wood was from the true cross even today cathedrals and churches around Europe have little pieces of wood the claim is made that this is a piece of the true cross People clinging to that cross. And the song is beautiful. It's right all the way through, but you can't really cling to it. God has another purpose for that old, dead, dry piece of lumber. God has determined that in the New Jerusalem, that that dead stick will participate in the resurrection of Jesus and it will spring back to life and not just to conventional early uh, earthly life not just to the life that that wood once had as a tree but to the glorified resurrection life that Jesus has fruit every month with leaves that heal the nations Life will spring from every branch and every leaf and those who eat from it will live forever. (laughs) What a glorious, glorious, glorious truth that the very instrument that was used to kill Jesus will participate fully in the abundant resurrection life that Jesus has. And that is glorious beyond description, but it goes way beyond the cross. Because the cross is an icon. What is an icon? We in the Protestant churches don't have icons. They have icons in the Eastern Orthodox churches. But the point of an icon is not, it's not an idol. You don't look at it and worship it. The point of an icon is that you're supposed to look through it and see something beyond it. And the cross is an icon. It's not something you're supposed to look at. It's a lens you're supposed to look through. And when you look at the cross, the very instrument of the death of Jesus, what you're supposed to see is you because you were the instrument on which jesus died you were the agent of the death of jesus on the cross
1: were you there sing it with me Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Ooh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord?
0: The song comes to us from the slave cabins of the old rural South. The slave that wrote it May not have been a highly educated slave, but he or she was deep through familiarity with suffering. The hymn is the essence of deep spiritual understanding of the cross. It was so deep, it was Mahatma Gandhi's favorite Christian hymn. The author of the hymn, despite his own suffering maybe because of his own suffering identified with the suffering of Jesus but went a step further it would be so easy to being a partner in suffering being one who shared suffering it would be easy to see Jesus suffering and identify with him and not with the crucifiers but this slave was deep enough To understand the severity and the reality of his own sin and knew that as much as in one way he identified with Jesus he also identified with those who had slain him he understood that Jesus had died for his sins had suffered because of him acquainted with suffering perhaps it was the last thing he would have wanted to do to make Jesus suffer too but he knew he was there and he knew you were too I was there don't anybody think for a second that my sins didn't count that my sins weren't serious that they didn't really alienate me from God. They did. I grew up as a little child in church. I've known the gospel since I was a little child. Yet knowing the gospel has not stopped me from doing things that really hurt people. Things that really hurt God. I was there I have to admit that had I been in Jerusalem that day I would have been in the crowd calling crucify him and knowing what I know now knowing that Jesus death on that cross was the only way I would be made right with God you better believe it that if I were there today and Jesus were on On trial today, I'd be saying, crucify him with one voice, and with the other, I'd be saying, hang in there, Jesus. Don't quit on us. Don't call 10,000 angels. Don't stop. Press on, Jesus. It's got to happen. You're the only one who can save us. Please, Jesus, don't quit. I was there, you were there, we were instruments in the death of Jesus. But like the cross, we will participate fully in the resurrected life of Jesus. Like the cross, we, the agents of Jesus' death, will participate fully in the abundant, eternal life of Jesus. When
1: we all get to heaven, that's how it's going to be sing that one with me (laughs) when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory let us then be true and faithful trusting serving every day Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory. There is
0: no victory that we have had on this side that is worth comparing to the victory that we're going to have on that side. We will have a victory there that transcends every victory here. Because every victory we ever had here was just a pale signpost pointing us to that one unworthy to be compared the life that we will have there hardly comparable to this thing we call life here And this is the way that will be in that victory the sufferings of this life will be seen in their true perspective just one glimpse of him in glory will all the toils of life repay just one glimpse yesterday I went for a run I am a marathon runner I have run four full 26.2 mile marathons as a matter of fact one time when it was the Marine Corps Marathon after I finished the 26.2 mile marathon I had to run an additional 10 miles to get to my hotel it it was rugged (laughs) it was rugged I gotta tell you marathons are rugged and you know my first one I was I didn't know it but my track coach ran that marathon as well and my track coach was an elite runner in college and he had never run a marathon before it was his first run marathon and he runs he ran most of his miles under five minutes each he finished the marathon at two hours and 37 minutes 26 miles most of the miles under five. I had no respect for that. <laughs> when I finished that marathon at four hours and 57 minutes, <laughs> I had no respect for those wusses that had finished in two or three hours. They have no understanding of endurance at all. Matter of fact, my second marathon was the Seattle Marathon in 20. 20- It'll, uh, 2012, the Seattle Marathon. It was 34 degrees with 30 mile per hour winds along the Puget Sound in Lake Washington. It was raining when I crossed the starting line, and my feet were already wet. I I, I was I mean I hate having wet feet. I was playing a golf one day with a friend of mine who was a, a won the Orange Bowl as quarterback for the Washington Huskies, great athlete, known all over the state for his tremendous athletic prowess. We were playing golf, and we were in the first tee, and I, it was cold and rainy, and I said, man, I hate being cold and wet, and he said, oh, you're not an athlete, are you? Oh, it, was like he, it was like he pushed a knife into me and turned it. I was so irritated by what he said that I shot an 84 that day and beat him. <laughs> But it hurt me that he brought attention to the fact that I am not an athlete because I'm not. I'm a musician at best. <laughs> so um, anyway, I ran this marathon and I ran my first half marathon in record time for me. I was running good. I was happy, uh, but I was cold and I was wet. and Hitting mile 13, my back went out on me. And I limped the rest of the marathon like that. And, and I'd walk for a while. But then in order to, in order to get running again because my back was so far out, I would kind of have to just, you know, kind of leap forward into foot and keep mo- And I, the, I finished. It was horrible. It was just horrible. It was cold. I was wet. Five hours and 20 minutes. But you finished. <sighs> It finished me. <laughs> so I'm crossing, I'm crossing the finish line, right? Five hours and 20 minutes. They came. The cr- the cr- there were people in the, in the stands to, to cheer you on. Uh, I crossed the line. They came. They hung a medal around my neck. And I said to myself, I'm still not an athlete. I hate being cold and wet. <laughs> you know, it just can seem like forever forever. And yesterday when I was out running, I, I only ran five miles, but I could barely do it. It was just brutal. It was 86 degrees. It's too hot for running. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm out of shape. I mean, I'm trying to get back into shape, but I just oh, I felt horrible. My shins hurt, and I just, I just, I, that five, five, five miles seemed longer than five hours. It just seemed like it was never going to end. But I was determined I was going to finish the race, finish the run. Well... Some people live in real ordeals. Some people live through real ordeals. And it isn't five hours or five miles. It's five years. It's 50 years of struggle, of ordeal, trouble, heartache, uh, suffering. And this is the truth. And I urge you to believe it. When we get to heaven, when we get to eternity, we'll recognize that our few years of life on earth were more like a five-mile run than an ordeal. Seems so absolute on this side. Time just drags by. i never seen a light, a night so long, time kept dragging by <laughs> I'm so lonesome I could cry <laughs> Hank Williams <laughs> but on that side it's going to seem like it was nothing at all I'm 57 years old right now 57 and I think you know I th- it was just yesterday I was in Ecuador with a team from Bethesda that was 16 years ago it seems like yesterday many of you were there it seems like yesterday some of you while you were there you felt like it was 17 years (laughs) but it's gone it's I think back 40 years ago and it seems like yesterday but it's where has the time gone I mean I 10 years ago I went to Northwest University with this suitcase full of dreams and ten years have gone by, and we've achieved some of the things we set out to do, but so many things are yet to do. And I think if I get my way, I'll get 15 more years. I'd like to work until I'm 72. I'd like to stay at Northwest till I'm 72. If I can do it, I will. So here's the thing. And I just feel the, I feel the ticks going by. I feel the clicks of the clock right now. I realize that to get done, the enormous thing I want to get done, I'm going to have to work night and day the next 15 years because the time is just slipping by. And when it gets done, it's going to feel like it was just a blip. You know what I'm talking about. That is how this veil of tears is going to feel when time is no more, when we have hit eternity, whatever we went through in this world, it's just like that. Nothing. It seems like everything right now. It will seem like nothing then. In the midst of seemingly grave sufferings and trials, Paul says in 2 Corinthians four seventeen, for our light and momentary troubles... Are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all our light and momentary troubles you know no matter how severe the trouble you may be going through right now you will understand that it was a light and momentary trouble when you get to eternity it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus life's trials will seem so small when see when we see Christ one glimpse of his dear face all sorrows will erase so bravely run the race till we see Christ no matter what you're going through don't get stuck in it go through it don't be weary don't despair and whatever you do don't get angry at God and join the side of evil your enemy is not God no matter what you've been through your enemy is not God God is your salvation God is your only friend it breaks my heart to see people going through difficulty going through tragedy going through times inspired in the heart of evil itself and instead of clinging to God they make friends with the evil don't do it press through fix your eyes on the prize ahead time will end and eternity will transform everything the resurrection will bring everything back to life and to a greater degree of life than we can imagine. Not only will the dead stick of the cross sprout leaves and flower and bear fruit. It'll do it every month. Its leaves will heal the nations. Look through the icon of the cross. See our own resurrection in the figure that John gives us here. The dead stick of our lives will bloom again. When I was a 21 years old I was praying in my dormitory room at Evangel University I was grieving over a tragedy that had occurred it was devastating as I grieved over that tragedy God spoke into my mind these words don't worry about that I have a great future for you you will be the president of a Christian University I was just 21 years old. No one in my family had, ever, had even been to university. Nobody had any, any idea that I might ever dream of such a thing. And I'd have to say it wasn't my dream. It was what God spoke to me. But it became my dream. I trusted God that that would happen. I, I had other things I felt called to do in life. I went and did them. Became a missionary and spent 15 years in Latin America working. I didn't know how that could possibly happen, yet 26 years later it happened. It took 26 years, you know what, this is the funny thing, I never even worked in a university until I was president of one. I was dean of a seminary for five years, but I, I, and I, I, was, I, was, I taught in a university in El Salvador, but I never worked at an American university on the day they elected me president of, of Northwest University. I got to tell you something, these last 10 years have been a dreamscape. I I always imagined what it might be like. I always hoped for what, that it might be a great blessing. It has transcended everything I'd ever hoped it would be. I know what it's like to fulfill a dream. But I also know what it's like for a dream to be utterly crushed. (laughs) um you know I was a musician growing up I was a tuba player and a string bass player and um I got it in my head as a junior in high school because my church had a massive meltdown terrible scandal with our pastor and um somehow I lost track of my childhood calling to be a, a church minister and decided I'd serve the Lord as a musician and I decided I wanted to be a symphony player so I was working really hard to, uh, to become a symphony player. My first year in college, I played the tuba eight hours a day, every day. I was working as hard as I knew how to try to get past my skill deficits. To try to get into that, that realm that I could become a professional symphony player. After about a year of this, the tuba chair for the Boston Symphony came open. And 350 tuba players applied for the position. And I read that and I thought, hmm, I'm one of the top five best tuba players in the state of Alabama. That means I probably won't even be one of the 350 that try out next time. It means I'm probably not one of the best 350 players in the country but even if I were one of the best 350 players in the country I'm never gonna be the guy that gets that chair I just had a come to Jesus moment in which I realized that everything I had put into trying to become a professional musician was wasted that I was not gonna become one I just didn't have the skill the same thing that made me a bad athlete bad eye hand coordination was killing me as a tuba player I couldn't get there was a level I just couldn't get past and i also knew that spending eight hours a day in a practice room did not fit my personality <laughs> after a year of doing that i realized that this was not didn't fit my personality and i i uh <coughs> sold my tuba and went and tra- transferred to evangel and uh, i played for about another year there and then i gave up on accomplishing anything further as a musician that was a crushing blow to a dream that I had been working really hard to achieve. Um, <clears throat> many years later, I was at Northwest, my uh, choir is phenomenal, our, our choral music program is phenomenal, and uh, they decided to have a, a Christmas concert at Benaroya Hall, which is one of the finest concert halls in the world in Seattle, paid for with the enormous wealth of Seattle and it's a phenomenal concert hall, and um, we contracted with the Rainier Symphony to, uh, to, to put the 100-voice choir and the orchestra together, and it was just a phenomenal concert, and um, the second year we did it, they came to me and said, how would you like to conduct the orchestra for one of the songs, and it was a joke, <laughs> you know, it was, it, was a, it was a joke conducting thing, but but I thought I'd love to conduct the orchestra <laughs> I'd love to do that so so I practiced the piece I learned the piece really well and and I conducted and I'm cueing the musician so it was really funny the, the conductor of the orchestra said the, to the to the players whatever he does ignore him you know just ignore him you know you can play this piece you know how to play just ignore whatever he does and um and play the piece so <coughs> we, we get into it and, and, and um, I, I stood up and I took charge of the thing and I started conducting it. And the conductor is watching from the side and he, he turns to his assistant and he says, they're following him. <laughs> <laughs> so after it was all over, they, they, they said, uh, he said to the, choir, to the, to the orchestra, what happened? Why, why were you guys following him? And, and they said, well, he just took charge of us. We had to follow <laughs> And i got to tell you, conducting that orchestra was healing beyond belief. Because I just wanted to be the tuba player. I never dreamed I would get to stand in Benaroya Hall in Seattle and conduct a symphony orchestra. Never Never entered my mind that that could be the truth. That was one of the highest moments of my life. A little dream sprouted out to something beyond what I could imagine a little failure came back as a monster success that's what heaven's going to be like not only will the dead stick of the cross sprout leaves you're gonna sprout leaves something that you gave up for lost is gonna come roaring back to life in another form more glorious than you ever thought
1: possible
0: God will revive in eternity every good thing in your life nothing that was God's gift to you will be missing when you get there it's all coming back nothing that was truly part of who God created you to be no dream that you ever dreamt for God's glory will be left unfulfilled things you long ago buried and gave up on will spring back to life as your tree blossoms again. You may say, you don't understand. You don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You keep telling these little stories about your successes and I apologize for them. They're my life. that's what I know. You don't know what I've been through. Believe me, I don't talk about the things I've been through. Maybe you lost your wife that hasn't happened to me maybe it was through death maybe it was through divorce (laughs) some would say I lost my child what are you gonna do about that and I'm gonna tell you that God (laughs) you miss you miscarried a child you never got to see a day of that child's life that child's gonna be there that child is going to be there more glorious than you ever imagined this is what all of the near-death experience stuff tells us you lost your marriage in this world reconciliation is going to happen you lost your spouse reunion is going to happen you don't understand Joe they were lost they didn't know Jesus how do you know that how do you know who's lost how do you know whether your faith will sanctify someone else or not you don't know you don't know I'm not a universalist I don't believe everybody's going to heaven but you don't know who's lost would you put that in God's hands would you let God be the judge Would you not live the rest of your life in mourning over a loved one that died and you weren't sure of their status? Or maybe you thought they didn't call out to God in their last moment or that that the baptism that they experienced, God didn't honor, that the faith they once had was enough? We don't know these things. Don't pretend to know things you don't know. What I can tell you is that every good thing God will bring to life again maybe not in the way you expected but better than you could have dreamed maybe you lost your business maybe you lost your life's dream but I can tell you if George Costanza ever makes it to heaven he's gonna be an architect (laughs) you don't know how God is able you haven't even experienced the creativity of God yet don't you ever despair things you thought were dead and lost forever will sprout again what do you do when leaves fall off a tree you rake them up and throw them away right well there the tree's going to sprout again and the leaves are for the healing of the nations the leaves that have fallen off of your tree the failures that you wept most bitterly give them to God God is going to cause everything to sprout and grow and prosper again and you will not be disappointed in the eternal city of God Paul said I want to know Christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so attaining to the resurrection of the dead we're gonna have to die first if we don't go in the rapture but even in the rapture we're gonna slough this old husk off everything's gonna be new and if we know him in the power of his death we will know him in the power of his resurrection and the best thing about eternity and with this I finish is that we don't have to wait for it it's already begun the new age of God began with Jesus coming and his announcement of the kingdom of God and we have already begun to live in the light of eternity and life has begun anew on the day that we are born again. Now, listen to this. According to the astrophysicist, you don't have to believe this, but this is what the astrophysicists say. Astrophysicists tell us that when we look up into the night sky, and we see stars, we're seeing what happened millions of years ago. The closest star to the sun is Alpha Centauri, it's four light years away. So everything you see from Alpha Centauri is four years ago. There are other ones that are millions of light years away. And when you see those stars, according to the astrophysicists, you're seeing light that happened millions of years ago. Whenever you look into the sky, you're actually looking into the past. You see the past. We can even detect the cosmic background radiation that remains from the first split second of creation. What happened in the creation, the light from that creative act of God, can still be detected in the cosmic background radiation. Now when we look into Jesus, we see the opposite, follow me on this, the light of the new creation has reached our eyes and we're no longer living in the past, we're seeing the light from the future. When we see things through the new creation, we're seeing the light of the future invading the past. In the opposite way that the light of the past invades our present. When we see in the light of the new creation, the future is seen now. And Christians live in the light of the age to come. Paul says if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here old things have passed away in the King James language all things have become new the new the creation the new creation that awaits us in the new Jerusalem is invading and enlightening our present now if we see with the eyes of faith we will live in an abundance of life that exceeds everything we've known before the new creation is ours here and now to live abundantly to believe, to live beyond our dreams beyond our creativity beyond what we can imagine we can still live it today if we walk in faith we walk in the light of what God has for us let us pray Heavenly Father we thank you for this glimpse into heaven thank you for your word that declares things to us that are beyond our experience beyond our knowledge, beyond our greatest hopes. Lord, I pray for any person in this place that has been defeated by their past. These light and momentary sufferings that Paul talked about, they seem so absolute here. Nor they're people who have been crushed by what they've been through. Even as I speak now, would you speak to them? Would you say to them, I have a new life for you. I have a future for you that is better than you can imagine. Trust in me. Put your trust in me. Put your eyes on me. If you're here today and you would say that life has crushed you. you hear words of hope here. You hear and you hear from the scriptures, from the word of God that everything can be different, everything can be better. That God's plan for you and God's purpose for you is a brand new creation. God's purpose for you is resurrection and fulfillment. God's purpose for you is victory. and you would say, I want to live in that victory. I just invite you to raise your hand right now. Life has crushed you, but you want to live in the victory. Just raise your hand. All around the place just raise your hand. I'm I'm done with being crushed. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe me, that's what it is. That's, That's where it is. Jesus on the cross died for your sins died for your failures, died for your disappointments, died for your sufferings, took on himself everything you have suffered so that you might receive resurrected life in God. Would you give your life to him today? Would you turn it over to him? Would would you today decide, I am going to be a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus. I want him in my life invite you to pray with me just as those others who've raised their hands Heavenly Father out loud pray with me Heavenly Father I come to you in the name of Jesus who died on the cross for me just like you raised him from the dead just like one day you will raise the cross again Raise me up. up. Pick Pick me up, Lord. You've seen my pain. You've seen me in my crushed situation. Breathe new life into me. Let the new creation dawn on me. Make me new again. And I will trust you. I will walk with you in the light of faith. I receive new hope. I will walk in abundance of life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name who has promised to walk with me. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. If you've lost someone and they're in heaven today, it's just a little longer. It's just a little longer. God bless you. Keep pushing on.